worship team. How's everybody doing? We're doing great? That's good to hear. I mean, that's good to, good to hear, especially in this day and age. I've got a question for you. On whom do you rely for your truth? On whom do you rely for some authority in, in your life? Uh, Fox? CNN? Um, maybe a blog from someone that you, you respect? Uh, Facebook? There you go. There's our truth and authority. Um, how about the church? And then I got to follow up with, okay, which church? What church? Uh, last week in Second Peter, which is what we're going through together, that book, amazing book of Second Peter, the apostle Peter ended the first chapter laying out the reliability and the authority of what? Oh, good. Great class. You all get a mediocre face. No happy face for you. Okay, uh, God's Word, the authority and the reliability of God's Word. Uh, it's our only anchor. It's our only anchor in the swiftly moving current that's going on in our culture. Um, and like our last study before Second Peter, when we went through the book of Jude together, the evidence that you and I are being obedient to that Word comes down to examining our character. Yes, our character, uh, is how we live each and every day, how we respond to whatever life throws at us. Is that an accurate story of the new life that God has given us through Jesus Christ? That's how we evaluate the kind of, that kind of evidence. There's a, there's a book, and it's called uh, The Go-Between. And here's the opening line of the book. I think it's a, a great line. The past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. Isn't that awesome? Uh, that's such a great opening line for our new lives in Jesus Christ. Our past is a foreign country. Um, our past is not the way we do things anymore. Apply that to every area of your life in light of God's grace and God's mercy, and you come up with things like, in the past, I was defeated, and I was discouraged. I was frustrated with life, but the past is a foreign country. I don't live there anymore. I exist in a different place now. Do you? Uh, in the past, I often spoke harshly to my wife and my kids, but I don't live there anymore. I do things differently now. In the past, I put my wants ahead of everybody else's needs. In the, in the past, I was overcome with resentment. In the past, I felt like my life was going nowhere. In the past, my prayer life was non-existent. But the past is what? It's a foreign country. In the light of God's mercy, in the light of God's grace, I don't live there anymore. I do things differently now by, by God's power and by God's strength, and as I read in his word how I'm supposed to now live. Uh, and Peter now moves on from that whole dialogue in chapter 1, and he moves on to chapter 2 to point out that, okay, the reality is that many people still live in the past. That's a reality. And you and I live with them. <laughs> you and I have to live our life in Jesus Christ before them, uh, in, in the same muck and in the same mire. And there are false road signs all around us. They're in our face every day as we seek to walk differently by God's grace and God's mercy. 
So let's get to it, all right? Second Peter, are you there? I'll have most of it on the screen, but it is wonderful to follow along as, as you can. Second Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1. But in this present darkness that you and I now live, there is always a caution. There's always a caution for you and I as followers of Jesus Christ. That's why we need to heed to the light of God's Word that will expose our pathways for us and show us where we're supposed to walk. But false prophets arose among the people. Remember, he just said God's Word is 100% true, always has been, always will be. But there are these false prophets who arose amongst God, God, uh, God's people. Peter had in chapter 1 told us that God's Word was 100% true and is being fulfilled. Everything that was said in the Old Testament is coming true. But there was evil right there at the door, waiting to sway God's children away from the truth, just as there will be false teachers among you, like today. And this is 2,000 years ago. You and I, we've got untruth, this untruth all around us in every shade imaginable. These false teachers, Peter goes on to say, will. Did you get that? Peter's about to make a prophecy, a prophecy that is coming true and that is still coming true today. These false teachers will infiltrate your midst. They're going to get in the church with destructive heresies, even to the point of denying the master who bought them. That would be Jesus. And as a result, they'll bring swift destruction on themselves. That's true, but look at verse 2. But many people are going to follow their debauched lifestyles. And because of these false teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. Be ready for it. Verse 3, and in their greed, they will exploit you with deceptive words. I've heard someone say, follow the money trail. And that will tell you where someone's really coming from. Their condemnation produced long ago is not sitting idly by. Their destruction is not asleep. It's going to come. As as I read that, did you think of Jude that we've just gone through together, the letter of Jude? It uh, it sounds just like Jude's message, right? Well, Well, check out this next section. I'm going to read it for you. Peter takes Jude's exposure of deception and ramps it up big time. It's almost word for word in some places. And as you know, I said last week that many people believe that Peter read Jude and then wrote this second letter. Verse 4, for if, and there's going to be four ifs here, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, Jude talked a lot about this, but threw them into hell and locked them up in chains and utter darkness to be kept until the judgment, and if he did not spare the ancient world but did protect Noah, a herald of righteousness along with seven others, when God brought a flood on the ungodly world, verse 6, and if he turned to ashes the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah when he condemned them to destruction, having appointed them to serve as an example to future generations of the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man in anguish over the debauched lifestyle of lawless men, For while he lived among them day after day, that righteous man, that righteous man Lot, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds that he saw, excuse me, and he heard. So let's recap that, because this Jude Jude did a lot of this, so I'm not going to go into great detail. You can listen to that message online. Angels, 
Angels who, who fostered demigods through human women in the pre-flood era are now, are now locked up in hell. The entire pre-world civilization perished. It was washed away. And in contrast to those two events, righteous Noah and seven others who preached the truth in the middle of all this wickedness for over a hundred years, they're rescued. Are you getting the point? And he says it again. Okay, and then Sodom and Gomorrah, who lusted after depraved sexual relations, are turned to ashes. In contrast, righteous Lot, living daily in anguish and torment in the middle of all that wickedness, he's what? He's rescued. What's Peter's point? Well, verse 9, well, that's where we all live. Nothing has changed. Verse 9, if so, and he said that it's not an if so, this happened, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. Is that you? And the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from their trials and to reserve the unrighteous for punishment at the day of judgment. Peter's point, God's got this. Whatever this is, God's got it. He always did, he always does, and he always will. He, God, will bring ultimate justice and God, He will vindicate our message, our life choices, and our lifestyle, and our character if they are in line with His declared truth. God will vindicate all of this and make it all right. You, you know, there's this theme that we, we touch on, and we have for years, and every time we go to God's Word, this theme creeps up. It all runs throughout the whole Bible. It's a theme that we call um, now, but not yet. That theme, you always see that in in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. God's in complete control. And we who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have been saved. Amen? Yeah, that's true. And we have everything that we need, right? We lack nothing. But it may not look complete yet. It's coming. In God's mind, it is complete It is finished, Jesus said on the cross. It's done. And everything is moving to God's desired ending, even today. And this is where patience on our part, which he provides, just ask him for it. This is where the kind of instruction and the kind of explanations about our current world, like we've seen in Jude and now we're seeing again in Second Peter, that's where it becomes enlightening and, and assuring and we're reassured in each of our, our lives to be patient and don't worry. Verse 10, especially those who indulge their fleshly desires and who desi- despise authority brazen and insolent. They are not afraid to insult the glorious ones, which we discovered in in Jude's little letter that these are the angels. Yet even angels who are there at the distant, who are much more powerful, do not bring a slanderous judgment against them before the Lord. They don't even go there. But these men, they're like irrational animals, creatures of instinct. They just do what they do. Born to be caught and destroyed, do not understand 
who they're insulting, and consequently, in, the, in their destruction, they will be destroyed. It's irony. Suffering harm is the wages for their harmful ways. People who do not want uh, others' best interests, people who do whatever they desire in spite of others' best interests, people who redefine what freedom in Jesus Christ really is in order just to satisfy their own whims and desires and to be able to do what they want to do. Peter says here they just don't get it. They don't get it. They come across like they get it. They're really bold and they may even be powerful communicators but they don't understand. They don't get it from God's perspective. Look at verse 13. Look at how proud these people are. By considering it a pleasure <clears throat> to carouse in broad daylight. <laughs> There's none of that going on in our world, right? If people just flaunt their sin. No, of course not. But, but wait, it, 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 it's worse. By considering it a pleasure to carouse in broad daylight, they are stains and blemishes, indulging in their deceitful pleasures, listen to this, when they feast together with you. Did you notice that? With you. You see, this is Peter's point. This was Jude's point, and I hope we get this so clearly. These two men of God, used by God to give us something to remind us and to snap us back to reality, they're not just talking about the world around us. As a matter of fact, they're not, for the most part. That's a given. That's not a surprise. Don't be shocked. They're talking about your church family. Jude, Jude did, Peter is. This is a warning. This is a warning to followers of Jesus Christ that we have for the last 2,000 years been constantly infiltrated. Verse 14 to 16, their eyes, and remember, these are people who are feasting, and the idea there is this is the communion service, the love feast, like we see in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where the believers would meet like we do. Uh, we have communion, and then, well, well, we used to have a potluck after. We, we, we don't do that right now. That's what he's talking about, this love feast. He says, their eyes full of adultery, never stop sinning. They entice unstable people. We need to be stable. They have trained their hearts for greed. Follow the money. These cursed children, by forsaking the right path, they have gone astray because they followed the way of Balaam, son of Bazor. And we saw this in Jude also. And he, this, this, this prophet, he loved the wages of unrighteousness, verse 16, yet was rebuked for his own transgression, and then in kind of a little aside that Peter makes, kind of reminding them about this story in Numbers chapter 22, a dumb donkey, like a, a literal animal, speaking with a human voice, restrained the prophet's madness. Do you remember that story? You guys remember that story? You remember it? Maybe, maybe you heard it in Sunday school. Maybe you haven't heard it recently. Let me, uh, let me uh, talk about it a little bit. So you got this prophet. His name's Balaam. And in Numbers 22, he's, he's a prophet for hire. You pay him a certain fee, and he will prophesy. He'll declare a curse. He'll just declare a blessing, whatever you want. So he, he just does that. And he's traveling along the road to make money to prophesy against God's children, the nation of Israel. 
And his donkey stops in the road three times at three different places because the donkey sees the angel of the Lord standing in front of him with a drawn sword ready to strike. So the donkey stops. But Balaam is blind to this, and each time he gets angry, and he beats the donkey three times with his staff. And then the Lord opens the mouth of the donkey, and here's what she said to Balaam. What have I done to you? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, it's just like, whoa. But he doesn't go, whoa. He talks back to the donkey. What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered, <laughs> answered the donkey. You have made a fool of me. <laughs> and you're the one talking to a donkey. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. Do you get the irony? Because the angel of the Lord is standing in front with a drawn sword to kill him. But that's the way we are as humans so often. We don't get it. The donkey says back to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey? which you have always ridden to this day, and, I, and have I been in the habit of doing this to you, stopping in the middle of the road and going off the road? And Balaam answers, no. And then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So Balaam bowed low and fell face down on the ground, because that's what you do when you stand before the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord asked him, what? Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. And if she had not turned away, I would have certainly killed you by now. But I would have spared her. Balaam, in other words... The donkey you're beating is actually saving your life. But you're blind to it. What might we be blind to today? What do you think? Think about your own life and what you're going through. What might you be blind to today? What is God's Word opening your eyes to? Maybe that's more important. You know... There are people, even in the church, who avoid God's Word. During the week, they might get it for a half hour or so on Sunday, but they avoid it because it works. <laughs> because it does expose. It does lay bare everything about us. And they don't like that. Do you and I see God's activity all around us, regardless of the circumstances? Do we see it clearly? That's God. He's doing that. He's moving. Or are we negative about the things that happen to us and we're just blind? As you soak up His Word, and this is a big if, I know, but as we, you and I, soak up His Word, we're going to be enabled. This is what Peter and Jude are saying. We're going to be enabled to discern, even through his prophecies found in the Old Testament and the New Testament, about what's coming to this planet, about where we really are at as a, as a world, as humanity. And you and I will have a perspective as children of God that will calm any fear, any fear. 
as the human race, we are not on an evolutionary ride to utopia. Newsflash. As a human race, we are not becoming all we can be. And there's no one on the planet who possesses the power to create world peace. It's not going to happen. Have we been, or are we today swayed by only what we see with human eyes to only what we hear with, with human ears? What's it going to take to wake us up? A talking donkey? I don't think so. Because what we're seeing here in God's Word is it's perspective. And it's already available to us, to each of us, the right perspective on our present condition, no matter what it is, through the enlightenment of God's Word. And we know the answer. We know the answer. What's His name? It's Jesus. Jesus the Christ. A humble crucified, resurrected Savior who is God in the flesh and that therefore was able to bear the wrath of God that you and I deserved. He took it. And He's coming back one day. Do you believe that? And I know there's many people today are saying, how about today? <laughs> That's good. That's the perspective. He's coming back one day and He's going to let justice roll. He's going to vindicate all the wrongs that have ever been done. He's going to make everything right. And in the meantime, whenever that, before that day ever comes, you and I have the privilege as Jesus' brothers and sisters, His servants, we get to communicate God's love to every one of our neighbors, whoever they are, wherever we find them. And we get to communicate to them this perspective that we gain from God's Word, that whoever believes, that whoever trusts in God's Son will have everlasting life and will escape the wrath and the justice that is coming. That's the perspective. But what Peter and Jude are telling us is that there's this infiltration of God's truth, there's this bending, there's this warping of God's view of reality, and it's been going on for hundreds and even thousands of years, and it's through false teaching, it's through false prophets, and it's been taking place since the beginning of time. So it should come as no surprise to you and I today that anyone, anyone who teaches, me, anybody else, anyone who comes up here and declares that it's the Word of God they're speaking has to be evaluated and has to be substantiated by the very Word of God. Look at Paul and Silas. This is in the very beginning of, of the gospel penetration of the world when, when God's at work and, and, and they move into a new territory with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 17, here's, here's what, this, this is how Luke records it. And when uh, Paul and Silas arrive, they went to the Jewish synagogue. That's where they usually went because that was the first opening where people are actually opening the Word of God. And these Jews were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, where they just come from and where they had to run for their lives. For they eagerly received the message. Why? Because they examined the Scriptures carefully every day to see if these things were true, if these things were so. 
Therefore, and what happened? Many of them believed, along with quite a few prominent Greek men and women. Look at Paul's warning to the church in Rome, which was becoming the center of, of, of the church in, in the entire world globally. Rome was becoming this place. In, Rome six, in Romans 16, 17 through 20, Paul says, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create dissensions and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you have learned. Watch out. They're here. Avoid them. Just avoid them. Don't give them a moment. For these are the kind who do not serve our Lord Jesus, but they serve their own appetites. Shades of Jude, shades of Peter. By their smooth talk and their flattery, they deceive the minds of the naive. Don't be naive. The minds of the naive are not feeding and feasting on the Word of God. That's how you get there. Your obedience is known to all. And thus I rejoice over you. You guys, you're you're obeying God's word. It's awesome. But I want you to be wise to what is good and innocent to what is evil. The God of peace will quickly crush Satan under your feet. See, this is a given. Don't worry. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And then look at how the apostle John puts it in 1 John 4, 1 to 3. Dear friends, Don't believe every spirit. Don't be so gullible. But test the spirits to determine if they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is 2,000 years ago. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus as the Christ who has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist which you have heard is coming, it's now already in the world. Many will follow anyone who proclaims loud enough that they have all the answers and does it persuasively and has good stories and gets you laughing, gets you crying, gets you moving through the whole gamut. Especially they'll listen if those answers are what they want to hear. That's what the Bible calls tickling your ears. Like, uh, it's an election year this year. Watch for the promises. They're going to come fast and furious. They are already. But even in the church, watch out for the false promises that can't be backed up and substantiated by the Word of God. You see, there's a, there's a boldness that you're going to find in, in a greed-centered message. There'll be a boldness. It's, it's alluring, that boldness. It's, it's, uh, it's convincing. It's like, well, they must know what they're talking about. They're so, they're so firm in it. They're so sold out to it. And we, we read here in 2 Peter that, that that boldness is an evil vice. But a boldness for the true gospel message that's a godly virtue. Watch for that. This uh, Peter, who we're reading from right now, and uh, the Apostle John used to do ministry together. And back in Acts chapter 4, we read about how they prayed to God and what they asked for. And I think it is exactly where we as a church, you, we, you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, this is where our prayers need to be, even through the current coronavirus. Acts 4, 27 to 31. 
They both prayed for and demonstrated this kind of gospel boldness in their prayer to God. For indeed, here's they're talking to God now, okay? For indeed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, right, who crucified Jesus Christ, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together in this city, they're in Jerusalem at the time, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, God. And they did it to do as much, get this, as your power and your plan had decided beforehand would happen. They're just playing into your hand, even though it looks so wicked and vile and evil. And now, Lord, pay attention to their threats to us and grant to your servants to speak your message with great courage, a boldness. While you extend your hand to heal, while you bring about miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, And then when they had prayed, look what happened. This is God's response to this kind of prayer. Just want you to catch this. We need this. Catch this. The place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God courageously. This kind of gospel boldness is consistent with humility and obedience. This kind of gospel boldness that we're reading about is where our attention and our focus needs to be. But any boldness that glorifies self is the opposite, and it's a deadly vice. And as we've read here in in 2 Peter, it leads ultimately to destruction, not to the grand offerings it gives. I was reading this last week of the account of this little boy when he was a little boy, um, that he was, uh, he was in a lake with his family, and they're on a boat, and so they were diving in and out of the water. He dove into the water, and uh, when he got back into the boat, he was completely disoriented. Uh, he kept asking one question. He said, I kept asking, what time is it? And then someone would tell him, what time is it? And a second later, he's like, what time is it? It was really weird. That's all he could say, and, and it's what he constantly asks, even after he was told. So his mom and his older brother, when they get back into the shore, they get into the car, and they rush him immediately to the hospital. And the whole way on the drive, he's saying, what time is it? What time is it? And they're getting annoyed. He's getting annoyed. And they discover at the hospital that his disorientation and this one persistent question he keeps asking is the result of a concussion that he received when he dove headfirst into the lake. He hit the water, but thankfully, within 24 hours, he's back to normal. Unfortunately, it appears that many Christians are experiencing a cultural concussion. I see it all the time. I read it in blogs and posts, in articles all the time. I hear it on TV all the time. A cultural concussion that only seems to become more disorienting over time. It's not getting better. We all, every one of us, dive into the deep end of our culture each and every day that we wake up. Because that's where we live. We don't have an option. We live in this world. We're not supposed to get out of the pool. I know some Christians try, and they cloister themselves. I don't read that anywhere in the New Testament. And we find ourselves 
repeatedly asking fundamental questions about our faith and about our practice and how we should live and, and about the world around us, and we keep repeating them. We keep asking them. We, I, I hear this, and I even think this myself sometimes. When did people start thinking this way? You know? Uh, how did we as a society end up here? Like, how did this all happen? All the, all the division and all the angst and all the anger. Like, like how do we get here? I've got friends who, who believe in completely different things than I do. How am I supposed to, how am I supposed to relate with them? How am, I supposed to, how am I supposed to deal with this? These questions that we ask over and over again. I'll find my questions. I guess I've got a couple more here I want to I share with you if I can get them. What time is it? What is the society that we're in? How do, how do I relate to my friends? How do, I, how do I communicate God to them when they think so differently and when they, they have a whole different perspective of what, what is true and what is right and what is wrong? Where do we get our information from? Well, we get it from God's Word. This young boy, he was... He was frustrated with his mom and he was frustrated with his dad because they stopped answering his question, what time is it? And they were frustrated with him because he kept asking that same question. When you get a concussion, you become completely disoriented. You forget how to live. You forget all that you used to know. You don't know where you are at. You don't have a, a, a firm foundation or, or a ground. You can't truly connect with other people. And one of the first steps in, in getting back to your bearings is to, is to have the right roadmap, to have a compass to show you which way you're supposed to go. And both Jude and Peter have made it so very clear to you and I that where we go to get our information is God's Word. We go to the Bible. And then the next step, once you get that information, is to, is to seek to understand the terrain that the roadmap is taking you through. What is it that I have to walk through today? How do I relate with all these, all these people who are coming from a completely different philosophy than I am? Then we now find ourselves there. If other people's way of thinking remains completely foreign to us, if it's not seen in the light of God's mercy and God's grace, His declared word, we will evident, inevitably become, become angry, defensive. We may even become discouraged when we try to speak to other people about our faith. It's not, that we're, it's not that we're asking everybody to go out and live in the world like the world. That would be sin. We're, we're, we're not saying that. No, the past is a foreign country, remember? In the light of God's mercy and grace, I don't live like that anymore. I do things differently now, but God has left me here. 
He's left me in this mess. But, and he's commanded me to speak his truth. He's commanded me to speak his truth to everyone who is around me, who I come in contact with, like someone once did for me and for you, like for many of you. And then God shined the light on the darkness of your life, his bright light of life and liberty and freedom in Jesus Christ, and he showed you that you needed saving, and then he saved you out of the darkness. But if you and I get frustrated by our inability to communicate effectively what it is we believe, our beliefs, you may experience some self-doubt. Uh, is this Christianity thing really true? Is all of the Bible really authoritative and, and true? Um, you may experience some fear. Uh, I don't want to be seen as hateful and intolerant, so I'll just keep my mouth shut. We won't talk about politics and we won't talk about religion. You may be filled with resentment. People are insane <laughs> and they're ruining our culture. And you resent it and you look like you resent it. Or maybe just apathy. People aren't going to listen to me anyway, so why bother? Today, Christians... They seem to be choosing to either live out their lives with a private faith where they keep it to themselves or they seem to be living out an angry faith. It seems to be those two extremes. And our witness for Jesus Christ is rarely effective when we're fearful or we're angry at the people we're supposed to be reaching. They're the ones who need Jesus. So we have to constantly return to the humble gospel boldness. Humble gospel boldness that Jesus Christ has called us to and the gospel boldness that all the apostles displayed with such convincing power. I want to ask you to rise with me. We've got a lot of work to do as a church. We've got a lot of work to do in our society. Um, this isn't the time to sit and be stagnant and let the world continue on its pathway to hell. We've been called to say something. We've been called to do something. So let's pray, and then let's communicate to God through our praise and our worship that we're on board with His plan, even though it is difficult. He will see us through. Heavenly Father, You are an amazing God. You have blessed us with so much. If it was just your son, Jesus, Lord, that you left us, this salvation, it would be enough. But you've called us so clearly. You've outlined it for us so precisely in your word, how we should then live, the words we should use, what we should say, how we should pray and communicate to you. And Lord, we do, we, we, we ask you now for wisdom. We ask you for discernment. We ask you for the power that can only come through your Holy Spirit to in, infect our lives. That we would spread your good news to everyone who comes close to us. And dear God, we know that that boldness is available 
for every one of us to be used in the way that you have created us and made us. And we look forward to seeing many people come to know Jesus as their Savior as you work in and through us, as we shine your light in the darkness. And we pray all this, and we now praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.